welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Hallelujah. You may be seated if you can. I hope you know you're not walking around here because you eat right. I hope you know you're not breathing because you earn anything. But if it had not been for the mercy of God tapping you on the shoulder in the morning, it wasn't your phone alarm clock that woke you up. It wasn't even the, because some people got touched this morning and didn't move at all, but God saw fit for you when you got touched and when the alarm went off. Some of y'all didn't even, you just woke up and you just like, oh, I'm up now. It's all because of the goodness of Jesus. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, let's get in this word. Let's get in this word. Stand to your feet. Yeah. In a new series today, five week series <clears throat> called Core Convictions. Core Convictions. Let's turn over to Colossians 1 16 through 20. Colossians, the first chapter, verses 16 through 20. One, Two, three, read. our message, the first message in our core conviction series is Christ-centeredness. Somebody say Christ-centeredness. Let's go before the Lord. Father God, we thank you and we honor you for your mercy that endures forever. And God, we praise you and honor you for the great opportunity to represent you in every single area of our life. And particularly, Lord God, as your um, time with us infuses us with a deeper sense of who you are And not only who you are, but your son. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. Help us to be doers of the word, not merely hearers deceiving ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody say core convictions. Um, It's interesting, the word core, by definition, The word core by definition, core means the central or most important part of something. A central and often foundational part. Let me say that again. 
core, the central or most important part of something, a central and often foundational part of it. Conviction, though, conviction is a fixed or firm belief. One who has undergirding principles that have governing effects on one's thinking, actions, relationships, business, spiritual life, etc. When we talk about core convictions, somebody say core convictions. When we talk about core convictions, we're talking about what, what governs every area of your life. What are some guiding principles, some kind of some kind of things in your life that are ways in which you move. How, how you move is, is, is based on principles, not based on flightiness. Even, even the streets, as, as challenging as the streets can be, the streets have codes or core convictions. Uh, maybe we can name some of those. Some of those can be, can be stuff like, uh, 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 don't mess with your boy's ex. That's, now, dudes. <laughs> Fellas, is that a, is that a street code? Okay, I'm just making sure. Y'all was quiet in the mud. I don't know if that's on, I don't know if that's culturally relevant no more, Pastor. All right. <laughs> um, no snitching. Your word is your bond. Always business, never personal. See, that's, y'all ain't seen New Jack City, so y'all understand that. Y'all too young to know what that is. Anyway, some of y'all was about to be born. Anyway. Never invite anyone in without doing your homework on their background. They're like, that should be a core value of epiphany. These street codes, y'all. Somebody happy about that one. Trust no one and be thorough or thorough. You understand what I'm saying? Y'all know. See, that, that's, that's old there. You know, be thorough. You know what I'm saying? That means, that means hey, Money got his stuff set up right. You understand what I'm saying? Those are street code things. But why do we have core convictions? Because it's not enough to just say we love Jesus in the Bible. You have to lay out what that actually looks like. What is, what is the, one of the things that you shouldn't ever experience in this church or any other church is a lack of clarity of what it believes, what its focus is, and what it's trying to accomplish. Somebody can say, well, we want to impact the world. What does that look like? That's, that's a big, it's a whole lot of ways to impact the world, right? You know, so, so you, have to, you have to be very, very clear. And these aren't just principles in general for the church. These are principles that our expectation is, is they will become a part of your personal core convictions for your own life and for your family that can be guiding principles to sort of help you to, to, to move a particular way in the world. We, we, Christians, we should be known for how we move together. Amen, somebody. In the way we functionally move. In other words, if people run up on us and they cut us, we should bleed the same DNA. In other words, we should be a loyal family to one another, but ultimately loyal to the living God. And so God's people have to have core convictions. So this reality shows itself up in why Paul would write such a weighty letter. Now, the, the first part of this letter is extremely <coughs> weighty because the church of Colossia or Colossia, whoever you talk to, is in a hyper-spiritually 
spiritual society with all types of spiritual pluralism. Spiritual pluralism means different types of faith. Back in that day, I don't know if I'm dating myself again, but back in the day, we used to have ciphers. You understand? And one dude would stand at the middle, he'd go... See, they stand at the middle. And we do, y'all don't know nothing about that, y'all too. See, we used to do, y'all don't know about that. But then, that, 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 that. Y'all don't know about that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, um, um, and in the middle of the cipher, dudes, dudes and dudes would get out and they would spit and wrap their worldview. Like back in Colossia and in Greco-Roman culture, um, they would get out and they would engage people with their worldview. Paul was concerned that the people of God would get lost in the mix of allowing their worldview to be absorbed in other worldviews. And so one of the things that, 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 that you need in your life as a part of your diet is theology. Now, you have to learn to not just say amen to the stuff that hits home personally. You, you have to learn to say amen to the stuff that just hits home universally. Because it's right and it's true about God, right? And so, so when we talk about theology, it's very, very important that you're convinced of what is truth and what's not. You should be, well, I ain't going to judge that person. We'll talk about that in a minute. I, I, I don't like that terminology, and I'll tell you why that we have to be clear on that. But Paul wanted the people of God to be clear on their Christology. Somebody say Christology. In other words, what he began to do is he was very familiar with the different types of spiritual systems that were in Colossians. What he would do is he, he took who Jesus Christ is and showed the Colossians how the things that those other philosophies are offering them, Jesus Christ already gives them and gives it on steroids. And people don't realize that even in our day today, in our pluralistic society, people are speaking against Christianity, borrowing the worldview of Christianity to come against Christianity. So I said, if you didn't have a Christian worldview inferentially influencing you, you wouldn't even know what questions to ask me. And so in other words, you're saying Christianity isn't true, but you're using Christianity that is you taking the name Christianity off of it and calling it theosophy and all of these other different things, and you're reinterpreting it and putting it back at Christianity, not knowing that you just told me Christianity without the name on it, and you just put it under another God. And so what Paul ends up doing is I want, I want you all to, to, to stay with me today, because this is going to be hefty. And so I need you to be engaged. Somebody say be engaged. I want you to begin to, to absorb nutrition. I want, I, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm eating differently uh, now most of the time. And what I've had to learn to do is I've had to learn how to eat for nutrition, not just taste. Well, see, see, something may taste good to you, but it may not be good for you. Help me today. <clears throat> but some stuff that doesn't taste good to you is good for you. On my desk right now is a cold-pressed beet juice. Now, y'all don't understand 
two years ago, I'd have been rebuking you, telling you beasts were a part of the fallen creation that will be redeemed once Jesus comes back. <laughs> but because I've experienced what it does for me, then I can, I can actually, I've, I, I, because I've been with it so long, when I eat something that I ain't got no business eating, it just doesn't feel as rewarding because of what it does to my body. And so it ends up, even though I like the way it tasted, I begin to get a mental taste aversion to it because it doesn't taste as good as it used to because of what it did to me. And so when I get the good stuff that I necessarily don't like in my taste buds, but it does good in my matrix of my life, I begin to press towards it because of how I feel and what it does for me, just like the Word of God must do to your soul. So we talk about Christology. <clears throat> Some Christology is hard to swallow. Somebody say Christology. Christology is just a big word that means the study of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, guess what you need to know? You can't call yourself a Christian and make up what Christianity is. <laughs> you have to, if you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to get, if you're going to, Christian means to be Christ-like. So if you're going to be, you can't say, well, Jesus wouldn't do that. Where does it say that? One more person said me, Jesus didn't do that. Show me where he didn't. So to be Christian means to know who Christ is so that you can know how to absorb off of what he's done for you in order to live for him. First point, first point, Jesus is the center of creation. These are some big, big highfalutin principles. <clears throat> Verse 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God. Stop right there. Now, I don't even really, I can spend the whole sermon on this, but it's very this is a big concept. Now, to understand this, the first time the idea of image came up in the Bible was when in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, where God says, let us make man in our likeness and our image. So man was originally created to image God. We were supposed to use what's called his communicable attributes. Ah, come, come on, come on, write something down. <laughs> communicable attributes are those attributes that man can reflect without being God, like righteousness, like justice, like peace, all those different things that are, but we can't be omnipresent, omniscient. Those are his non-communicable attributes. Non-communicable attributes are only thing that God can be. That's what makes him God. But then when God created us, he created us with the capacity to relate, uh, 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 relate and relate his communicable attributes. So Adam and Eve, equally, both man and woman, both woman and man, were created in the image of God equally. I just wanted to throw that out there real quick for somebody. And, and, and yet they were given different functions. But they were both equally supposed. There's not a female righteousness and a male righteousness. There's just righteousness. Anyway, and so both were supposed to image God, but they fail. So what happened when they fail is it, the, the image of God was defaced from reflecting the one who made him, them in his image. So, but, but they didn't lose those communicable attributes. They just utilized them in fallen mechanisms like self-righteousness. Instead of taking their creativity to show off the glory of God, they took their creativity and used it for themselves. Defaced but not erased. 
So even a non-Christian can show elements of the image of God because they still have those elements just without God. So now, fast forward to this passage, when he says he is the image of, uh, the image, please underline that. See, we were supposed to be images, but he is the image. In other words, God told us not to make any idols or graving images on purpose, because no graving image can ever image him or reflect him. But God images himself by bringing Jesus Christ down and stuffing their attributes, both communicable and non-communicable attributes, into the body of Jesus. Am I alone in this place? And so now Jesus is the image, the prototype image. He's not beta. He's not. He, he, he's he's the he's the only image that God looks for himself in that he must see in those who say they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And see, in our world, though, people are confused about what the image of God is. Because many times the church, we're trying to image the world more than we image the Lord. We're excited, and I'm not going to beat nobody up, but I am going to explain something in a second. We're excited when celebrities get saved. And say, I, I hate when people say stuff like this. God, Listen, the reason why God saved them is because they can reach people that can't. Others can't. Let, let me explain something real quick to you about the living God. Like, God absolutely, unadulteratedly, doesn't need nobody for nothing. I, say, I didn't say nothing. I said nothing. God doesn't say, now does God use people's narrative to connect with people? Yes. But when we, don't, be, don't ever say God needs anything. Because God can show up and just say, I want to save you. Yes, God, bye. And he go back to heaven. He don't have to, but he chooses to use preaching. So what does this have to do with this? <clears throat> People, it's funny. <clears throat> the world expects imaging from us. Why? It's interesting. Like, and, and, this, and I, don't, I don't knock other religions. I just think it's interesting. Muslims are never accosted about impacting their community. You'll never hear people saying, man, Islam don't do nothing in the community. Nobody say, booty isn't that Buddhist temple down there? They better transform the community. But for, for some reason, the church, people have an imaging expectation of us unlike anybody else in the world. Because even in their fallen state, they know that the church is supposed to be the hope for the world. People recently, maybe this is on subject and off subject, I just want to address it. So, just forgive me. So, Kanye. <laughs> so, I have an interesting take on it. I'm rooting for his authentic transformation. I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for that. Um... I, I just don't want the church 
to molest him and his gift for their personal opportunism. That's number two. Number three, I got two verses for you. <laughs> One is called the parable of the soils. Just go to Matthew 12 later. Read it. Pray for him, Matthew 12, that he would be the soil that receives the word of God long term so that he can image him well. So that it's not the back and forth like some rappers do. Cool. Last thing, one day, disciples got back. He said, Jesus said, how was it? He said, said, yeah, but we was killing it, but man, it was this dude, man. Like, he's over there using your name, laying hands on people. I thought we was unique. You know, we with you. Demons coming out of them all over there, so we had to go over there and show and prove how we wrote. So I told them to stop it. And guess what Jesus says? Jesus says, don't tell them to stop it. He said, because whoever is not against us is for us. Bible. Last thing on that issue is I hope people pastor him before they prop him up. That's it. That's it. That's it. I'm done. Because our imaging always has to do with us using something to make. Christianity doesn't need to be made cool. Christianity is at its best when it's not. I'm supposed to be to the next point by now. <laughs> Christianity is at its best when people ain't feeling it. Because it weeds out who really love Jesus and who don't. And then you're forced to image Jesus because you're committed to Jesus, not because you like the worship music, not because you like the preaching, not because you like the children's ministry, not because you like the atmosphere of the church, not because you like the padded chairs, not because you like a screen, not because you like where it's located. It's all because I'm so committed. I can do without all the aesthetics. Just give me Jesus. But are you Christ-centered enough to where if the lighting isn't a certain way, I'm sickened by our brand of Christianity, of how much we as shepherds have to do to just get you to sit down and hear a word. See, being Christ-centered is so Christ-centered is even if we didn't have a children's ministry, didn't have a nursery, and we had one bathroom with one stall on each side, and you had to put your child on your lap, and they cry while you hear the word, would you still come? But now we got to greet you. We got to make sure you feel comfortable. Now we got to give you coffee and tea and some snacks. Now we got to make sure that you, you got to make sure, you know, this and that. Make sure that, make sure you don't tell them, make sure that they may never come back. Man, look, I'm sick of that. And I'm not, I'm not saying we just, we just brutes, like, get on in here now, you know. I ain't saying that. But what I am saying in being Christ-centered is, is, is we have been pampered into thinking that the church has to take care of us in order for us to be a part of the church. I'm done right there. <laughs> see, see, Im- see, imaging God, imaging God has a different disposition where you're really like, I'm pursuing this thing. I got to move to the next point. <sighs> I got to move to the next point. 
He says, the text says, he's firstborn of all creation, meaning he has the seat of the firstborn son. That doesn't mean he was born in eternity past, like the J-dubs say. The Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus Christ is the archangel Michael who was created in eternity past and partook in creation. However, when you look at Job, God says he's the author and curator of creation. The angels watched, but they didn't do anything. So, so, so when it says he's the firstborn of all creation, it's not saying that he was born. It's saying he has the rank of the firstborn, which means the firstborn child has access to everything of the father as a co-owner of what the father has. Oh, that's good preaching right there. Jesus Christ owns everything the father owns. And the only way for Jesus to own everything the father owns is for him to be God too. Help me today. I got to move. Next one. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. We got to get that. Verse 16. It says, for everything was created by him. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I love this. Everything in heaven has been created by him. And everything on earth has been created by him. Now, this is interesting. Jesus has created every dimensional plane that exists. This is fly stuff. It's all in the Bible. <laughs> Jesus Christ created three heavens. Based on 2 Corinthians chapter 12. There are three heavens. There's the sky you can see. Then there's the universal atmosphere. And then it's heaven itself. He created that. Like, I got to be down the street somewhere else. <laughs> Then he created heaven in certain divisions. Why? Because Hebrews, the eighth chapter, verses five and six, says that there's layers to heaven. Why? Because heaven, the, the tabernacle in Leviticus and Exodus was a reflection of what heaven is set up like. So in heaven, there's an outer court. There's an inner court. And there's a holies of holies. Now, Paul says in the holies of holies is where God lives in unapproachable light and sits on a throne and the son at the right hand of him. I just think that's just fly stuff that Jesus Christ created everything and created the throne he sits on and the throne the father sits on and where they are. So he's created everything seen and unseen. So everything belongs to Jesus. Oh, that's shouting music right there. I love it all. But what's interesting in creating earth, he created the sun, which is which when he spoke into existence the sun, helium and hydrogen came together and formed the sun. When he spoke. The earth, when he spoken into existence and caused tohu vuvohu, caused the formless and voidness of the earth and the waters and the and the and all that. He brought he brought it together and it began, it, it didn't then what happened is the earth leaned over and began to spin. When the earth leaned over and began to spin, it spins at 67,000 miles per hour. So it had to come into existence at that speed to start spinning. If the, it, it, with the beauty of Jesus Christ is he is the eternal chemist. But, 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 I, but I ask myself the question, in a second, I asked myself a crazy question when I looked down because it says where the thrones and dominions, all of those structures were created by him. But then it says, next point, Jesus is central in his position. 
He's central. Now look at what the text says. <clears throat> he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Now I ask myself, what if for one second, because the Bible said Jesus holds all things together. What if for one second the earth stops spinning? One scientist says the, if the earth stops spinning, suddenly the atmosphere would still be in motion. On the outside, with the earth original 1,100 mile per hour rotation speed at the equator, all of the land masses would be scorched, clean of any of their attached bedrock. This means rocks. Uh, uh, topsoil trees and buildings, even your pet dog and so on, will be swept into the atmosphere. That don't get you. <clears throat> what if the sun went out? The earth would immediately become zero degrees Fahrenheit. In a week, it would become negative zero degrees Fahrenheit. The top of the water would freeze over and the bottom of the water would remain unfreeze for about uh, some several years. That's just another thing. What if gravity stopped working? And he said, I'm just going to let go of gravity. The lack of any forceful gravitational pull would turn humans and anything else with mass, like cars and buildings, into a fast motion of tumbleweeds. That's because the earth would continue spinning without exerting the gravitational pull to hold the objects in place. I'm so glad he holds everything together in a delicate balance to make sure the earth keeps spinning to make sure the sun keeps shining, to make sure the moon keeps reflecting, to make sure the wind keeps blowing, to make sure that your body is held in place. Matter of fact, he even holds your mind in place. What if he let your mind go just for a day? Some of the stuff you went to, some of the stuff you went through, what if God just let you feel the brunt of all you were going through without him? Even while you're going through what you're going through, he's holding you together. You wanted to run outside and run it from the car, he held you together. You wanted to commit suicide, but he held you together. You wanted to leave your marriage, but somehow he held it together. You wanted to wild out as a single person, and you was like, I'm going to the bar tonight, and I'm going to find whoever, and we're going to the hotel, the motel, and whatever we got to do, and you walked out the door, and something just pulled you back in the house. He held. I'm so glad he holds me together. Last thing, and I'm out your way. It's all right to bless his name. Jesus is central in transformation. <laughs> Look at what the text says. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him now oh my god this is just too much now jesus christ why would god be pleased 
to have his fullness in him if his fullness had already been in him. Well, the Bible says in Philippians 2 that when Jesus came from heaven to earth, took on an additional nation in verses 5 through 9, guess what happened? He set aside independent use of his attributes, meaning he was still God but didn't act like it. He had to fully function as human. Now, now, you know how deep that is? Because we get a little something-something. And we want to let everybody know our resume and who we are. But for 33 years, he had to act like he wasn't God and just a human. With full deity inside of him, but he would not use his attributes independently of the Father's permission. In other words, there were times, can you imagine being on the, the thing and they hit you with the canine whip? I would have said, re-sew back, my back would have went back together. And then I would have did like this, I would have did the force and snatched the one dude up with the cannon and I wrapped it around him and did like that and his body parts would have broke and then, I, then everybody would have been running. I'd say, no, y'all ain't going nowhere. The whole crowd would be stopped like this. I'd pick everybody up and put them over here. I'd say, y'all going to Golgotha and I'm going to put all of them on crosses and just doing like this, just throwing nails at them. But Jesus went to the cross and he put the cross on his back with full deity inside his body. And he allowed his creation to whip him and to beat him and to spit on him. Even though he could have destroyed every one of them, he could have blew them away. But like the old Mississippi mass song says, it wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. But it was the love of God that held him to the cross. I'm so glad he stayed there. I'm so glad he hung there. He did in six hours what it would have took me an eternity in hell to do. He held himself in place. He said, you don't take my life. Homie, I give it. And then on the third day, he got up with all power in his hands. And he said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. What is that? Full deity. He has access to use it how he wants to now. Why is that important? I'm done. When God reconciles all things to himself, I'm done. He brings things together that shouldn't be brought together. <laughs> I got to stop here. Reconciliation is bringing two opposing parties together as if nothing was wrong. All right. At the Walnut Academy, a group of students were told by their professor to make a vinaigrette. So they got their little oils and vinegars out and their little seasonings and started making the vinaigrette. They put it on the salad, but it didn't taste right <clears throat> because 
the vinegar kept separating from the oil. And so they kept looking at the professor not knowing what was wrong. And the professor said, in order for them to stay together, you need an emulsifier. You need something that can take hold of each opposing opponent and bring them together with it at the middle. And when it's at the middle, you can't tell the difference between anything because it'll be fully one. That's what God does in Jesus Christ in our life when he reconciles all things to himself. He grabs this part of your life and this part of your life and with the blood of Christ at the middle, he emulsifies those things together. And the greatest thing he did was he grabbed God the Father and he grabbed you by his blood and brought us together to be one. And so when we talk about being Christ-centered, we know that he's God of creation and we know that he's God in position and great in position, but he also makes transformation happen. My prayer is, is that as we walk as a Christ-centered church, that we would be those who believe without a shadow of a doubt that God is able to merge the unmergeable. I'm done. Father, we thank you and bless you for the mercy that comes through the gospel. God, I pray that you would touch the person that may be here that doesn't know that you and them aren't connected. God, maybe you Maybe you hear someone and you have never been connected to God. Jesus Christ wants to bring God and man together. And he does it through his blood. There's nothing wrong with God, though. It's just God can't have any parts of anything relationally that's imperfect. And so Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless one gave his life and poured it out so that we could be one with God hello this is Dr. Eric Mason founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship thank you for tuning in today hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you also if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond particularly in inner cities partner with us today and if you don't know Jesus as Savior based on his death burial and resurrection place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity God bless you take care we love you we love you